0: Old Testament History Illuminates Kingdom Prophecies a podcast by Brother Philip Wetherell. who meets with the Christadelphians at Daventry The Old Testament has likeness or similitude of past events which predict the future The reigns of Solomon, Joash and Hezekiah are used to illustrate that Old Testament history are signs of the coming kingdom of God when Christ reigns These men foretell both the rightness of Christ to reign on David's throne The the inevitability, destruction of God's enemies and the peace which will exist on this earth when Christ is King.
1: Okay. Good evening everyone and thanks for um, coming out tonight. Um, Quite a lot of um, passages to consider this evening. But um, you'll be pleased to know that I have a lot of them on the screen. I don't normally do that, but uh, in view of the nature of this topic, we'll need to we'll need to do that. Otherwise, we could be here for a long time. So we want to consider this topic then um, of Old Testament history, the things that are written in in the Bible, and see how they have a bearing on other prophecies that God has has given, and. We want to, first of all, just establish a few things. And the first thing we want to look at is that God has a purpose with the earth and it is revealed in Bible prophecy. And here's an example of Bible prophecy. This is a well-known one. I'm not going to spend any time on it at all. But it's an image, that a dream that a king had of an image made up of different metals. And the important thing, as far as we're concerned, is that right at the bottom here, on the, you can't see it too well, but the part of this image of the king's dream, that the feet were not composed of any single metal, but it, metal and clay. And that's relevant because this verse occurs as an explanation of this prophecy in Daniel chapter 2 and verse 44. And in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms. So that relates to this feet part of this, this, um, this image, this statue that, that King Nebuchadnezzar was caused to dream. And it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it, that is God's kingdom, shall stand forever. So, so there's God's purpose revealed that he intends to establish a kingdom On this earth in place of the kingdoms that are existing at the present time and it's intended to last for um, forever for a long long time so the scope then of what we want to do this evening is to show how the message of Bible prophecy about the coming kingdom of God is reinforced that's what that's the purpose of this To see how the Bible is harmonious and that that there's a, a reinforcement of the basic prophetic message in divine history. Now the Bible is not a history book but it contains history and this history that it contains is selective, it's what God has chosen to be recorded for his purpose. So it's important that we take good account of the things that he has recorded. That's the scope and the method uh, of 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 looking at this this evening is is to consider the record of the reigns of three kings and again we're going to be selective in the in the information that we give out because of time and to see how in the very things that happened in in their reigns that they were illustrative of what God will do when this kingdom comes and when his Purpose is established on the earth. Now, um, Bible teaching through prophecy. We just need to, again, set a few ground rules and just look at a few things. So this is, um, again, the purpose of God set out in his word, taken from Isaiah chapter 45. Thus saith the Lord that created the heavens, God himself that formed the earth and made it. He hath established it, He created it not in vain, He formed it to be inhabited. So this is God's purpose with the earth. It's not something that the earth is going to be burned up and destroyed and not have any existence. We don't need to worry about issues that people talk about, global warming and all sorts of other things, because God has decreed in His word that the earth will be inhabited. And it's going to be inhabited by men and women and therefore it's going to be in a state which will be uh, idyllic for for them. Now uh, another one of the prophecies that we read in Scripture is the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So God at the moment has let, man to, uh, let a man alone to rule rule himself to to work out his own problems um, but that's not going to be the situation in the future. It's going to be uh, governed by God and his, his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And as a result of that, um, the world that we see now will be a very different place. Now, the next uh, the, we're looking at um, Bible teaching through um, prophecy. So there are also prophecy is not just in the Old Testament that are prophecies. In the New Testament, too. Uh, and this is um, uh, the visit of the angel Gabriel to Mary. And the angel said, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He shall be great and shall be called the son of the High- highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. Now we can already see that there's a tie-up between some of these things that we've looked at. The kingdom having no end, it being organised uh, by God and using his, his son. And um, we want to look at now, and I ask you to turn these two references up, in the Acts of the Apostles, Are so we're going to go to chapter 2 first of all. And, and just read a little more before we start to examine these, um, the lives of these three kings. In Acts chapter 2, then, in verse 22, we have part of a speech that was given by the Apostle Peter. Uh, it's under inspiration, and he was explaining certain things about God's purpose. And it involved Jesus, as we saw from that quote down here, uh, of, uh, that quote to Mary. So he says in verse 22, You men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you, by miracles and wonders and signs which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know. Him, being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken, and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. This was just six weeks after the Lord Jesus Christ had been handed over by his own people to the Romans, and the Romans had crucified him. Whom God hath raised up, so he was not allowed to remain in the grave, but after three days was raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. And in in doing that, he achieved something, he achieved an opening for mankind. Now, if we just go to the next reference on there, which is just a page back in Acts chapter 1, and verse 11, after his resurrection, Jesus appeared for um, 40 days with his um, disciples and, and he was with them on the Mount of Olives and they saw him um, disappear out of their sight in a cloud, taken up to heaven. And in verse 11, two men who stood by them just appeared out of nowhere, who were God's messengers, his angels, said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus which is taken up from you into heaven shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. So there's lots of things now coming together. There are lots lots of kingdom prophecies because Jesus is to be the king who will sit upon the throne of his father David and will govern the nations in a way that God wants him to govern the nations. And it will be very different from the situation that we have now. So there are some fundamental principles that we need to be aware of. So we next need to ask the question, is it valid for us to use Old Testament history to shed light on Bible prophecy? Do you think this is a a valid way of, of trying to show the message of the Bible? So let's just see what we find when we start to look at references in the Bible. We find that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So things written in the Bible to do with prophecy relate to the Lord Jesus Christ, even though they might not seem to and first value. Uh, Another reference we find in Peter's uh, epistle, where he says, we have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well that ye take heed in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation, it hasn't come from man. The prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So this is a, a lot of um, references to do with, with prophecy. But what's involved in prophecy might surprise some people. And I'm going to look at another verse And we've already looked at some today in Hosea chapter 12, so we're going to look at another one. And it's this one in verse 10. And what we read there is, I have also spoken by the prophets. So that's a thus saith the Lord. I have multiplied visions, that's dreams and visions that God gave for people to see and to write about. And used similitudes. And that's what we're going to look at tonight, this idea of similitudes. And it's part of the prophetic word. So it's quite valid, isn't it, to be able to look at these similitudes, and I'll explain what that is in a minute, and and to apply them to reinforce the very clear message that has come through Bible prophecy that God has chosen to reveal to us. The word uh, similitude is a translation of the Hebrew word damar, and it really means like. That's what it means. It's something like something. So God has given likenesses in his word is part of his prophetic word but it doesn't appear to be part of his prophetic word it appears to be divine history Uh, it is history but it's selective divine history to show something to give us uh, a message and so we can see all the references there to prophecy and to prophets so our Plan then, this is that Hebrew word "damar," which means like, and that's how you find it translated in some other places in scripture and in different ways. So we're going to look at three kings. Now this is going to be very brief um, because there's a lot about each of these kings. And we're going to try to show some things in their lives that will agree with some of those fundamentals that we've looked at already. So there's Solomon, Joash, and Hezekiah. And the first thing about them is, they're all kings. And they all sat on the throne of David. So that's interesting, isn't it? That kings sitting on the throne of David. That's what Mary was told by the angel. He would sit on the throne of his father, David. So let's try and work our way through each of these. Now, um... As I've said, there will be some references ask you to turn up, but but many of them I will not keep uh, there. You, 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 not um, they, Many of them will be on the screen, and you don't need to turn them up. Now, one of the things that Solomon did when he first started to reign was execute some judgment. And this uh, advice, this information, this um, these instructions were given by his father, David. So if Solomon... It represents the king who is to come, then his father, which was David in this case, represents um, God who would give instructions to his son to execute judgment. And one of the things that we read in the New Testament is that we shall all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And there is a much wider judgment to be executed by, by God. And, and in the first book of Kings in chapter 2, we've got examples of that. The first one is about Joab, the son of Zeruiah, a man who was very loyal to David, but who was not uh, the kind of character, really, that would reflect the glory of God. And, and uh, And Solomon was told, if we go to the end of that quote there, Do therefore according to thy wisdom, and let not his whorehead go down to the grave in peace, because he murdered people more righteous than himself. But on the other hand, kindness was to be shown to another class of person who is here called Barzillai the Gileadite, who gave uh, David solace and provided provisions for him when he was exiled from his kingdom. And then there's another person called Shimei, and again we read uh, there right at the very end, but his whorehead bring thou down to the grave with blood. And, And Solomon executed The wishes there of his father, David. So in his reign, at the beginning of his reign, he executed judgment. And that's what we expect the Lord Jesus Christ to do when he returns to the earth as the angel said he would. Now, also in in Solomon's uh, reign and in verse 12 of 1 Kings 2, if you want to turn that up, you can see that we're told there that Solomon sat on the throne of David, his father, and his kingdom was established greatly. We don't need to say really any more than that. Now, in the fourth chapter. Chapter of Kings that we read together, but this is the bit that we didn't read This is the early part of the chapter. We told that Solomon had 12 officers over all Israel, which provided vittles for the king and um, What we also um, uh, Need to, to be aware of when we're looking at that particular reference is that Jesus spoke to his disciples um, shortly before he was to be taken and tried and crucified uh, all in ju- unjustly. But he said that uh, ye are they which have continued with me in my temptations, and my father hath appointed you a kingdom, and ye shall sit on twelve thrones, judging or ruling the twelve tribes of Israel. So part of this kingdom that is not going to end, that is going to be set up, is going to be divided up in, in, tri- in tribal ways in tribal cantons and there are to be 12 as there were 12 um, sons of Jacob or sons of Israel uh, a feature of this kingdom because it's not going to be run by men it's going to be run by God uh, and his son the Lord Jesus Christ is it's going to be a, a, a kingdom in which there is peace and the, the verse just prior to the one that's on the screen there talks about it being uh, peaceful And here um, we are told that Judah and Israel, this is Solomon's kingdom, dwelt safely every man under his vine and under his fig tree from Dan even to Beersheba all the days of Solomon. So the peaceful nature of Solomon's kingdom was pointing forward by a likeness, by a similitude to the peaceful nature of the rule of the Lord Jesus Christ when he comes again. And then Solomon, uh, examples of his wisdom abound in the Proverbs and in certain things that, that he did. And, and it, we are told that there came of all people to hear the wisdom of Solomon from all the kings of the earth which had heard of his wisdom, for he was wiser than all men. And we are told that people will go up to Jerusalem to learn of the ways of the Lord in, in, this, in this time when Jesus is on the throne. That's the clear message of the prophets, and we see it reinforced in the life and the reign of this man, Solomon. So there's a lot more you could say about Solomon, but what we're going to do is try and be, as I say, a little bit more selective. And so we're going to go to our next king, and our next king is a a king called um, Joash. Now we might like to turn this one up, because the... uh, Information is probably not quite as, as um, familiar to, to many, many of us, um, but, but it's a, a marvellous example of many of the things that Jesus is to do when he comes again. And, and the position in 2 Chronicles chapter 23 is, is quite an interesting one, because there was an awful lot of destruction and bloodshed against the royal family at that time so much so that it appeared that there was no one at all who had a a, a title to the throne alive that's what it appeared that the line had come to an end but there was a baby which was taken away and hid in the temple for a period of six years and while That was happening, the uh, grandmother of this person, a, a, a woman by the name of Athaliah, usurped the throne and reigned for six years. But she was not entitled to reign at all, because she was not of the royal line. And there was someone hid, hidden away, who was going to be revealed at a particular time, which we see there is... Um, spoken of there as the seventh year in verse 1 you can see that in the seventh year Jehoiada who was the high priest strengthened himself and started to execute this plan of revealing the seed the one who was to come to the rightful heir to sit on the throne and so the usurper was was got rid of as we shall see in the chapter so just just look at some of the references now of the clear prophetic scriptures and see how the narrative here in Two Chronicles twenty-three, the story here about Joash, how it fits that prophetic message. So, in the book of the prophet Ezekiel, in chapter twenty-one, the very last king of Israel is addressed, of Judah is addressed, the man called Zedekiah, and he is called a profane, wicked prince of Israel, and the judgment is spoken against him that he. Should, that he should have his kingdom taken away from him. Remove the diadem, take off the crown. God says, I will overturn, overturn, overturn it, and it shall be no more, until he come whose right it is, and I will give it unto him. So, in the mind of the prophet Ezekiel, having been uh, inspired by God, he was able to write down exactly there what God's purpose was, that there would be someone who would come. Who had title and right to the throne of David, and God says, "I will give it to him and in the story here in this selective divine history, we see that there was one person who had right to the throne no everyone else had been murdered or, 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 or killed um, and uh, in battle or whatever and and so Uh, We we can easily see, can't we, how this points forward to the one who is to come to uh, reign on the throne of David. Now, the significance of the seventh year is also important for us to consider. In the letter to the Hebrews, we're reminded there that there's a verse which says, There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. And and you know how we saw that the kingdom was a a, a time of peace, every man dwelling in his own vine and at his own fig tree none making him afraid. And so that's the nature of this kingdom, a peaceful, restful kingdom which God is going to arrange. And it's interesting that the word rest in the original Greek language from this uh, from which our bibles are translated is the Greek word sabbatimos, and it means a Sabbath rest. That's what the Sabbath was about. It was ceasing from your works and doing the work of God um, uh, on on that particular day. And that's what this kingdom will be like. For those people who enjoy the benefits of that kingdom, which is something that God has offered to men and women, um, it will be a time of doing the work of God um, as immortalized beings because this kingdom is to last forever and it's to take place you see in the seventh year after six thousand years of man's rule there is to be a thousand years of the rule of the lord jesus christ now in this chapter we can see that when there was the the knowledge to um, people thought that this usurper would be on the throne for some time but then this man Jehoiada, the high priest, who was well aware that the baby Joash had been saved and was being preserved in the temple, was going to be now revealed to the faithful people. And this caused tremendous rejoicing. You can see in verse um, 13, the usurper is is, is the one that's uh, watching this, Um Perhaps we'll read at verse 10. Now, when Athaliah heard the noise of the people running and praising the king, who was just a boy of seven years old, she came to the people into the house of the Lord, and she looked, and behold, the king stood at his pillar at the entering inn, and the princes and the trumpeters by the king. And all the people, not her, but all the people of the land rejoiced, and sounded with trumpets also the singers with instruments of music and such as taught to sing praise. So there was great rejoicing and that's exactly what we can expect when the Lord Jesus Christ comes back to the earth when those people who have taken heed to the things that god has revealed in his word and look for his return will be united with him whether they are alive when he comes or whether they have fallen asleep they will be raised from the dead and will be united with him and it will be a cause of great rejoicing because this will be the time when man's rule will come to an end and when god's rule will start in the earth so Two Thessalonians, chapter 1 and verse 10. When he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all them that believe in that day. And the next point is the previous verses. Because in order for the rule of Jesus to take place, in order for Joash to be restored to the throne, so the throne of David could continue, In order for that to happen, opposition had to be put down. And it's described there in verse um, 15. They laid hands on her. This is the usurper, Athaliah, when she was come to the entering of the horse gate by the king's house and slew her there. And then she had established a false system of religion. And there's a lot of false ideas which are reportedly to be based on the Bible, which, which are not based on the Bible at all, uh, and, and there are so many false ideas, and these need to be uh, removed, and the true light of God's teaching to be revealed. So we get this in verse 17. She had introduced a type of Baal worship into the kingdom of Judah, which is also known as the kingdom of God in, in the Bible at that time. Then all the people went to the house of Baal and break it down and break his altars and his images in pieces, and slew Mattan and the priest of Baal before the altar. So there is the destruction of false religion. And, and that verse in two of those verses in two Thessalonians chapter one explain um, what Jesus will do when he comes again. the earth. So there's some things and there's a lot more I can tell you in that chapter to be brought out which uh, give us a likeness, a similitude of what Jesus will do when he comes. So our third one is um, Hezekiah. Now we're going to look at a couple of references in uh, Isaiah chapter 38. Yes, so probably we will turn that one up. So we've just got the verses there without looking at them. Isaiah chapter 38, which is um, a a prophetic, a part of the prophets, Isaiah being regarded as one of the major prophets. But within Isaiah's prophecy, there is um, an historical section. And again, we emphasize the fact that this is not just history. This is what God has chosen to reveal. Yes, it's history. But it's what God has chosen to reveal from that history and to write it down in such a way that we can read it and see the likeness of those things which are coming upon the earth. Now we saw how the Lord Jesus Christ was a man approved of God by miracles, wonders and signs and was taken by the authorities and crucified and slain. But God raised him from the dead. Now we actually see this likeness it's not the same but it's a likeness it's a similitude in the life of hezekiah and in verse one we read that in those days was hezekiah sick unto death and he had a visitation from isaiah the prophet and the the message was from god thus saith the lord set thine house in order and thou shalt die and not live so god gave hezekiah this message you are going to die and uh, Hezekiah's reaction to this was to appeal to God that he might live and and God granted that appeal and so it's like a death and a resurrection. It's not exactly the same, but it is like that and and that seems to be um, the the way in which this record is is written. So the good news for Hezekiah was in verse five. Thus saith the Lord God of David thy father, I have heard thy prayer, I have seen thy tears, and behold, I will add unto thy days 15 years. So he was granted an extension of his life, and it was like a resurrection, because he was told that he was going to die. And I think he he, um, acknowledges all of this, and in verse 20, He says, the Lord was ready to save me, therefore we will sing my songs to the stringed instruments all the days of our life in the house of the Lord. He recognised that it was God who was prepared to save him. And that's what we read of Jesus, and that God saved him out of death. And Jesus also was heard in that he feared, who offered up strong crying and prayers unto his Father. We read of that in the letter to the Hebrews and um, chapter 2 or 5, one of those. Um, Now, another fact in Hezekiah's life was occurring at the very same time that he had this severe um, illness which was terminal, but from which he recovered by a miracle. And the other problem was massive. It was almost as massive as the fact that he was going to lose his life because mm-hmm. around the walls of the city of Jerusalem was the Assyrian army, a powerful army who had taken so many uh, cities. They would conquered the kingdom in the north and they were now coming down and taking cities in the south. And the only city that stood... Was the city of Jerusalem. And that was a huge problem to Hezekiah because there was a siege. And that needed to be sorted out also. And God allowed a deliverance when the city of Jerusalem was saved. Now, there are also clear prophecies in Scripture, and we haven't got time to turn to them now, but in Zechariah, for example, chapter 14 where the city of Jerusalem is again to be invaded, and this time, for some period of time, it is to be taken, but it will be rescued by by God when the Lord Jesus Christ returns to the earth. And so in verse 6, as far as the likeness of that is concerned, I will deliver thee and this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria, and I will defend this city. And there's another likeness here, because... The the one who is to come down on Jerusalem, is is like the Assyrian of old, um, and we believe that that is uh, the power uh, the power of of Russia that is to come down. Now, as a result of the recovery of Hezekiah, his uh, recovery from his sickness, and as a result of the defeat of the Assyrians who had taken not just the territory of Israel not just most of the territory of Judah but all the other surrounding countries they were a mighty powerful force at that time and their defeat was recognised by the nations to be a defeat because of Hezekiah in other words that he was the one who was the catalyst for the destruction of the Assyrians And, and that helped hezekiah that helped judah that helped all the nations of the earth and so he became very famous and we're we're told in the um i've got this one on there we're told in the second book of chronicles in chapter 32 that thus the lord saved hezekiah and the inhabitants of jerusalem from the hand of sennacherib the king of assyria and from the hand of all other And guided them on every side, and many brought gifts unto the Lord to Jerusalem, and presents to Hezekiah king of Judah, so that he was magnified in the sight of all nations from thenceforth. Now, we've looked briefly at certain events in the lives of three kings there is so much more that we could say about each of those but there is so much more that we could say about so many other characters and so many other events that are there in scripture and so many of these point forward they they enhance the the basic message of prophecy and this book therefore is a is a book at which we should take very, very seriously, because it's a book which is like no other. It is a message from Almighty God, and he gives us these likenesses and these similitudes that we might be encouraged by them and realize that this book is divine. It has been written by God. It can't have been written by man. There are so many connections. There's so much harmony in this book that we can't treat it lightly, and discard it. We have to take it very seriously. So, we look briefly at, at those uh, elements there. We could, as I say, say so much more. I'm just going to leave you now with one more prophecy. This is not a likeness and not a similitude. This is an actual prophecy. And as we look through these verses, just four of them, we'll see, I think, uh, a number of things that we've considered this evening. Um, so... We're going to look at the prophecy of Micah and the first four verses, but again, they're all on the screen, and I'll finish with this. In the last days it shall come to pass that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established in the top of the mountains, and it shall be exalted above the hills, and people shall flow unto it. Many nations shall come and say, Come, and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us of his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For the law shall go forth of Zion, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he shall judge among many people, and rebuke strong nations afar off, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up a sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. But they shall sit every man under his vine, and under his fig tree, and none shall make them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord of hosts hath spoken it.